You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 55. This week's topic, how are we connected to a collapsed Bangladesh factory? Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And if you're joining us for the very first time, welcome to the show. We are a subset of subsets, the right word, Sandy? Probably not, but subsidiary, (laughs) something like that of the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University of Southern California. And Sandy and I are here back again today to talk about something, Sandy, which everyone who saw in the news just hearts went out to. And I saw the pictures online, and I know you've even followed the story more closely than I have. But this collapsed uh, factory in Bangladesh, what a tragedy for so many people and for humanity and and there's also some lessons to be learned here and there's some things that we can take out of this tragedy tragedy that will help us to um, think about human trafficking and think about the world in a little broader context well it is um a time for some reflection and thinking about how we're going to go forward on this kind of of issue and how it relates to human trafficking, to labor exploitation, and the sense that um, as we begin to look at human trafficking more closely, in the early days, we had lots of numbers that were extrapolated sort of out of some guesstimates. But now we're starting to actually have some numbers that are, are, are tracking that have been more consistent. And in recent reports this year, um, it was clearly identified that about 74% of human trafficking is labor trafficking. Mm. And we sometimes um, focus on trafficking like it is all sex trafficking, but that's not the case, which does not minimize sex trafficking at all. And you know that we are um, constantly talking about how to prevent commercial sexual exploitation of women and children. But the idea of labor trafficking and how that is connected to our lives here was just right. It's like a truck slamming into you when you wake up and you see news reports and you've just been shopping and you're looking at the tags mm-hmm. and it says made in Bangladesh. And I, you know, I'm thinking, could it have been in that factory? And I, I, um, I just struggle with what is my response supposed to be? Yeah, and we were talking even before we started recording, Sandy, that it is this is a very complicated issue for all of us, I think, um, at least most of us, that we, we go to the stores and we want to find things that we can purchase that are reasonably priced and all things being equal. We tend to, when we find a good quality item, we'll take the lower priced one if there's, you know, and we... Many of us shop at the discount retailers. And so it's easy to look at this and see this on the websites and see this on the news and to mm-hmm. say, 
what a horrible tragedy that happened there. Yeah, and it's not really ours. And it's not really ours. And yet, like you said, all we need to do is look at the tags on some of our clothing and it is our story too. Yes. And it doesn't mean it's 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 anybody's individual fault per se, but it is part of it is our story. It's a very complex situation and so there's there's some reflection that's appropriate. And and it's not something that is that far removed from our own country. Um MT Anderson uh, wrote an op-ed piece called Clothed in Misery in uh, response to the building collapse in Bangladesh. And he reminded us... This is from the New York Times. New York Times. New York Times, yeah. Um, We can post a a link on the show notes. Yeah, can you give me the dates, Andy, and that way we can... April 29th. Okay, so right after. And and it really had a big response. I mean, when I went online and printed this out, there there had already been 152 comments. Mm. And and one of the the comments that... um, sort of engaged me and I thought, oh, that's why we have to do this podcast. Uh, One of the comments said, tell me how to figure out who has good practices and I'll pay the price. And that is really part of the problem. Uh, He says, uh, uh, my research yields little clear and consistent connection between price and practice. And once you get out of the big box discount places, thrift stores seem to be the only way to opt out. Well, that, that was, that's a good observation, but looking at where this is in our own cultural history and the, um, the growth of the garment industry in, in assembly line production, um, Anderson does a really good job of the history of that, but I was shocked to discover that we had our own factory garment factory collapses. Mm. And I haven't studied that kind of U S history before. And he mentions particularly the 1860 collapse of the Pemberton mill in Lawrence, Massachusetts. And I think, um, it deserves a read, go and read his description as, as they, um, he reports on people who recorded that event and the subsequent fire that, that started and and the workers were still trapped in there. And you could hear, they reported hearing the workers sing as as the there was no hope for rescue. And you think that didn't happen far away. That happened in our own country. Mm-hmm. And not that long ago. No, no. Yeah. And and what did we do that changed that? Um some of us would say, well, we have better laws now. Yes, that's true, legislation. But we didn't quit depending on garment factories to produce our clothing. Mm. Yeah, now they're just not here in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. It, the, the jobs begin to, it's kind of a domino. The next vulnerable group takes over that particular really, really low income and um, often exploitative income realm. So how do we respond to that? What I mean, what are you going to do, Dave? Yeah, well, I think that, Sandy, we, we were talking even before we started recording of, you know, just going to a, a discount retailer and, you know, seeing the prices and thinking, wow, that's a really good price for this particular garment or set of garments. And I've, I've thought consciously a few times like, wow, I shouldn't buy that because it's too cheap. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yet it's not that easy. It's not, 
it's not easy of just taking the next most expensive thing and and assuming that that the information that we have at our fingertips when we're making decisions at a retail store is very different than the information sometimes we have if we're sitting at our computer and reading about this. And I think that that's the part that I struggle with the most. And to go back from the to the comment that was on the story is, well, you know, there are some statistics that, you know, as little as one to 3%, I think the article mm-hmm. cites that of, mm-hmm. of additional cost for a, an article of clothing would pay for a lot of the living wages and things that people would need and the conditions that would be more appropriate. And I would be, and I'm fortunate to be in a situation in my life that we could pay an extra one to 3% for our clothing and would be willing to and grateful to for people to get those living conditions. But who do I pay that to? What do I do? Go to Target and or, or Kmart or Walmart and hand over another 1% and have them send it. I mean, it's not even, even if you wanted to voluntarily pay that extra amount, where do you send it? So it, it's really a complicated situation. And I think that's the thing that I struggle with, Sandy, is, um, you know, do we do we try to buy more expensive clothing? Do we make a donation somewhere? Like what do we, what well, choices do we make around that? And what some people have done, and and it does raise awareness, um, and it's, it's a good thing, but not all good things are sustainable or actually um, are long-term solutions. So there are some non-prop, I mean, fair trade and slave-free websites where you can order products. Mm-hmm. Um, the prices are, I, I had a, a single mom say, oh, I just really feel passionately about ending human trafficking, but I can't afford those prices. And they were certainly a lot more than one to 3%. Mm-hmm. But when you start following the Department of Labor, and you can go back and listen to the, the uh, reports on child labor on our shelves, eventually we are getting better and better at big name companies um, requiring supply chain audits, McDonald's and Starbucks. Um, all of these companies see that social conscious, um, consumer consciousness is part of their marketing strategy. But in California, it's also part of our law. And I think that this is an opportunity for us to not feel powerless, like that's happening over there, and I don't know what to do. We actually have a tool that we can use because the California Transparency Act, and we've talked about it before, this is where it is the most effective. Hmm. That one to 3%, um, just paying 3% more, doesn't guarantee it's going to get to the workers. Right. Um, it may make you feel better, but you have no guarantee. So what we have to have is that supply chain audit. And with the um, California law, SB 657, it requires businesses to publicly post information on their websites in a separate, and I quote, conspicuous and easily understood document describing the extent of engagement towards eliminating human trafficking and slavery within its supply chains. So where the company does not have a website available to post those practices, they have to provide it in written form to the person requesting it. So the next time you go to a big box store and you see jammies for Luke for, for $20, you can actually go online and ask, what is the supply chain audit look like? Now, it's not the same as making an instant decision right there. Yeah. 
unless of course you have your iPhone and you open up Safari and you look it up. Yeah, I guess that's the the challenge for me at least. I mean, just as a consumer, and um, and this is you know my fault as much as anyone's, and I think this is what a lot of us probably struggle with is that you know we are running around trying to do our errands and trying to keep you know keep things moving and you know um, get a lot done in a day, and the 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 ease of getting that information, I know that it exists out there somewhere, but to have it at my fingertips when I'm shopping, I don't have as much as I do with some of the fair trade, like the coffee mm-hmm. and the chocolate. Mm-hmm. That's gotten really good, actually. Like I can yeah. go to many stores and see the labels right away. And I do make very different decisions on those things that I see very clearly labeled that are fair trade and and purchase those and don't purchase other things because of that. I don't have that instant accessibility. And I guess I just have to, shame on me, Sandy, go and do a better job researching on websites and and look maybe in advance, maybe we're at the store, take that extra couple of minutes to look. But one of the things I'm wondering is, is are there other ways, are there websites or services that are aggregating some of this information yet? I know this law has been out for a little bit in California. Well, Department of Labor does. Okay. They aggregate. And in fact, um, that was how I found out that Starbucks now I think the statistic is 85% of their coffee beans mm. are um, slave-free. And I've seen that on their board when you go into Starbucks that they've got a commitment of entirely um, fair trade by 2015 or 2020. I forget mm-hmm. what their commitment is, mm-hmm. but it's it's very clearly displayed in the store, at least the one I go to. So Well, and here's one of the, the issues. When you're talking about in the price going up 1% to 3%, mm-hmm. um, if we are doing supply chain audits and we build this into our sustain- sustainability model, um, then the necessity of having um, another regulatory agency of certification, there are several certification um, processes that are available. All of them have a licensing fee that will be tacked on to the cost hmm. of, of the product. So that becomes... Um, a little bit challenging if you're a small, we've talked about this, if you're a small family plantation on a cocoa plantation and you can't afford um, the price of that to sell your beans with that certificate, then um, even though you have no slave labor, uh, your product isn't certified. So, But there is a way to um, do a supply chain audit and document that this is from a family farm and there is no slave labor there. Mm. So the the bigger picture for supply chain audit seems to be that's gaining ground. It requires, because it's legislated, um, corporate um, compliance. There are reports that are required. Now, here in California, it's only required if you're a $100 million a year uh, company, and that's not just in California, globally. Sure. Um, but there is work being done right now to... Uh, uh, legislate, do similar legislation at a federal level. And there is also interest in um, from a, a, a global perspective as well. Um, so the, in theory, I should be able to go on to a major retailer site absolutely. and somewhere find that information and be mm-hmm. able to look that up and exactly. be able to determine that. And in fact, if they don't and they're in California and they're operating, they would, um, then you can just... Um, go to the California Transparency Act at california.gov um, and do a search and find out who to call to ask for um, 
why there's no compliance at this particular business. And so, um, and Sandy, I know we've talked about this before, but my, um, and I think I'm probably a typical consumer in this way, uh, or at least that's my excuse. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how this goes. But um, I know it exists. I know the legislation's there, but I haven't done a diligent enough job of remembering and putting it into practice. Does it require the, the supply chain to be uh, slave-free either now or at a certain point? Or is it purely a just reporting, here's what we know about our supply chain? It's it's an audit of your supply chain. Okay. And um, the at this particular point, to be honest, there are not a lot of teeth in this legislation. Okay. Unless consumers um, respond and say, "Wow, you aren't doing this audit." I'm. I want to know why. So we are. We. This is where be a voice. You know, study the issues. Be mm. a voice. Make a difference. Um, if you are informed about what the Transparency Act um, requires, then you you hold um, the consumer holds these corporations. Uh, to the fire, really. Eventually, more legislation will come that will um, beef this up. But at this point, more of it is is based on how the consumer requires that. Hmm. There, there are a lot of organizations that have been um, developing best practice recommendations. One of those is A-Test, which is um, a consortium of anti-trafficking groups that want to end slavery and trafficking, of course. And one of the things that they've suggested is that companies should be providing this information in their annual reports. Mm. So so there's already talk about adding and and um, improving the, um, the ideas about implementation of the California Transparency Act. So it sounds like one thing that I could certainly do as a consumer is if there's a store that I frequent on a regular basis and do a lot of my shopping, that going on their website, seeing what they have posted, educating myself about their policies and the detail. And if I don't see a lot of detail there, or if I don't see it at all, then one thing I can do is be a voice like we always talk Mm -hmm. about and make a call, send a tweet and find out, talk to the store manager and ask, you know, where they have this information and ask questions and when people do that, then, and a lot of us do that, people pay attention. Back in 2007, 2008, I had a student who, and this is long predates this law, mm-hmm. um, who did a research project within a half a mile of Vanguard, went to any little store, kiosk, coffee shop that sold coffee or chocolate and asked, do you have fair trade coffee? Do you have fair trade chocolate? And went back for three months in a row. And the first time they're like, huh, yeah, what, huh? And the second time they're like, really? Let me write that down. And the third time, um, many of them had those products there hmm. just because a couple of students were going around saying, I'd like to see this. This is what I'd like to have. Interesting. Um, so, so I think that we underestimate how much companies do listen to us. Um, the, the other aspect, and you know, of course, if you're talking to me, we've got to get down to talking about prevention. Of course. So how can the California Transparency Act and this concept of consumer consciousness, corporate consciousness, um, be part of how we can do a better job in preventing human trafficking? And that means that, means that we are going to have to look at supply chains as part of that prevention model. 
So when a company is required to disclose um, how they verify a product supply chains, that's going to help us hold them more accountable. And they're going to have to do a little, dig a little deeper in order to produce that report. Um, we, we want companies to have basically zero tolerance for forced or child labor in their supply chains. And when, um, when they take this into consideration, many times in the past, this has been, how do we fit this into our financial reports? Now then, there is another value in, um, in the corporate world that is this social consciousness and consumer um, appreciation and value for, for your company is really important and your company's not going to do well if if everybody um, um, is anti your practices and your reputation is um, is it, it in question. So the the recommendations and impact on prevention when they conduct audits of suppliers and find out when they're um, in compliance for preventing human trafficking, that's going to require finding out, did you train the people on the ground, perhaps in Bangladesh, to identify if these workers are there because of debt bondage or because they had no options or because they were abandoned children mm. or widows? What? Why are they here and how are they surviving? So you have to ask a few more questions. They're not just numbers in a column. And then that's where the, the supply chain audit makes the corporations um, more responsible for asking those questions. Mm, fascinating. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's really, I think uh, the, the thing for me, Sandy, is it's, it's, you know, there's a shared responsibility here. We can't just rely on the laws. We can't just rely on government. We can't just rely on companies there's also a responsibility that as consumers we bear too. And I've frankly not held up my end of the bargain as far as always being responsible as a consumer. And so that's good coaching for me to walk away from this episode today to do a little more investigating and looking at some of the websites, especially where I frequent and, and start to ask more questions and engage people. And and I want to caution people about legalism. If you can't find a product that's 100% la- um, uh, uh, labor exploitation free um you you are and you're only it's i'm speechless because this is almost impossible to find and verify because see the idea of certifying that the materials incorporated in the product comply with human trafficking laws and and supply chain transparency this is really complicated think about just think about the rivets um for that the your shoelaces go through on your um, running shoes, mm-hmm. they're they're made out of scrap metal for the most part. Mm. And where did how are you going to verify where all that metal came from? And and the idea of doing a supply chain audit at some point you're going to reach a dead end. Yeah. So what do you do? Say oh I can't take that. Um, well then you end up impacting a little community who is dependent on that particular uh, product and they have no way to sustain their community because 
they can't figure out how to do a supply chain audit. So it gets really messy. Yeah. And and it has to be done with some um some cautions as not all just direct legalism. And even when we know that there's an issue, it's it's not always cut and dry either. And I think of the example of like our iPhones mm-hmm. and the and I forget the name of the mineral in Africa that Fulton. Fulton yeah. that is needed for manufacturing phones and there isn't other options at least with current technology for utilizing that we all carry it in our phones and yet we all know or at least those of us who you know are aware of these issues that there's a lot of issues with you know forced labor and those mines and yet here I am still holding an iPhone and so mm-hmm. it is it is there's not a lot of black and white here there's a lot of gray areas that we so awareness is key and then asking questions and then you know it's it's um i think that that statement you made sandy about not being always just 100 percent legalistic on this of really looking at the big picture and looking at the complexity and being willing to sometimes be okay with some gray zones and some complexity but being uh how does the quote go uh the arc bending toward justice over yes, time yeah. you know yeah, legalism can result in hypocrisy. I think I heard some wise person say that. Yeah. And and as uh, you're talking about this mineral, it was really interesting when we had Esther and Camille and Toto from the Congo here. Yeah. And they talked about uh, that response because they said that in response to the fact that everyone knows that all of the coltan coming out of Congo has been mined with slaves, now much of their coltan is being... Um, uh, shipped out under darkness, I don't know, uh, smuggled out, and being sold from other locations as though it were from that location and mm. it was not, in fact, from a legitimate um, company, but in order to have a clear supply chain. So there, you're going to run into um, criminal minds that are going to try to get around this act. Um, it's the whole thing, even with fair trade certification and finding out, you know, oh, there was a counterfeit um, certification that got put on labels and these weren't really fair trade products. So yeah, we have criminals amongst us. Yeah, We can only do the best we can and ask questions and use our voice and hold the communities, the businesses in our communities responsible to hold up their end of the bargain in helping us um, be as responsible as global citizens as we possibly can. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of being global citizens, I'm so glad you mentioned Esther and Camille, Sandy, Mm. who were here. Uh, If you didn't listen to that episode, go check that out. It's episode number 45, and you can get to it at the uh, Global Center for Women and Justice website, gcwj.vanguard.com edu and you can learn more about their story and the amazing work that they're doing in in the congo and the one of the things about um the supply chain transparency act is it does ask a company to disclose information on the use of a third party to verify product supply chains which is why i see this kind of responsibility um, in our business model Mm -hmm. as as a really hopeful sign for the future of labor trafficking because um, there's a lot more accountability. And we all know, we all need accountability. That's why when I see a police car, I take my foot off the gas. Mm -hmm. Because I know I should not have inched up over the speed limit. So we all need to be accountable. 
and our businesses and as consumers. And we can all do our part to be a voice for those who are at risk, the most vulnerable in places like Bangladesh or in Dhaka. Um, And even in our own communities, there are migrant workers who are surviving and sometimes not surviving under horrific working conditions. And as our community becomes more aware of that kind of labor trafficking and they begin to identify it, I want to make sure we repeat again, we haven't for a while, the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline number is 888-3737-888. A tremendous amount of of labor trafficking happens right under our noses and we don't even see it. And if we see people who seem to be working all the time that don't um, speak up for themselves, that don't leave the premises, whether it's a restaurant or an agricultural field or um, or a garment um, industry facility, we should call 888-3737-888 so that someone will come and tell them what their rights are They may think they owe a debt that isn't Mm. even a legal debt. And someone needs to, like Honorata told us on our last podcast, let them know that we see them as human beings who have rights and we want to help them. So that's a great reminder is the human trafficking hotline. And also the two suggestions I'd have walking out of the show, and I'll certainly do this, is to one, read that New York Times article, and I'll actually send Mm. that out to my community as well, Sandy. And then to go on to the websites, especially if you're here in California, go on to the websites of the places that you shop and see what you have posted. And I went on one of them as you were talking, Sandy, that I frequent, and I was pleasantly surprised at how much information is up there. And so oh, I'll go back and, and take a look. And and so I would encourage our, our community to do that same thing. And if you don't find that information, it's not clear, is to ask some questions in a in a helpful way and in a loving way and to go and to open that dialogue uh, just like your student did with going around to shops around Vanguard and having that dialogue. And when we do that, businesses and organizations become partners with us, Mm. not adversaries. And that's, you know, because they are us. We all work for many of these large organizations and businesses and they employ us and our family members and our friends. And so we're all in this together. And the more that we can dialogue and I really study the issues like we always talk about, Sandy. I think the better off we all are and we are helping people. And um, if there's one of our listeners that's a real creative um, tech person, maybe you can come up with an app that'll help us when we are shopping to access that um, supply chain transparency tab on that, that would website. Be cool. Wouldn't yeah. you love to be able to be standing there and saying, let me see? Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's so many apps that you can scan a barcode of, a, of yeah. a, you know, like uh, I'm thinking of uh, like those, um, I forgot the name of it, the labels where you can scan mm. and get a tons of information about something. It would be great if you could scan a barcode of a garment at a store and get some information. And I know it'd be very complicated to put together, but to be able to get some information about where that came from, where it was. We're so getting worse. closer. We're yeah, getting closer. To I think that. it's, and that's where technology gets just so cool and all the information that's Absolutely. available to us. And technology brings its challenges too, but it also helps us to be a lot more informed on how we can reach out to the world. Hey, Sandy, it's just about going to wrap up our time. Okay. I do want to say a huge thank you to uh, the person who's got the screen name Price of Life NYC. Thank you for posting just a wonderful iTunes review for us. 
And that is just great on helping more people to find the show. And if you've been, maybe you just listened to this episode for the first time, or maybe you've been listening since we started. If this show has been helpful to you and you use iTunes, it's a great way to help more people study these issues to be a voice and make a difference. Go on to iTunes, rate us if you can, but also write a written review. And if you're on Stitcher and listening to us on Stitcher, hit that thumbs up and that star button to add us as a favorite. That will also help more people to find the show and we'll be very grateful for it. But more importantly, you'll help us to reach more people. Sandy, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Have a great week, everybody. You too.